Happy July 4th weekend, everybody. Hope everyone's gearing up for a great holiday weekend and some time to unplug, even during these COVID times. Uh, this week on Faded, we have Kalai Cordova, who comes to us through Chris's network. He's a great friend, businessman, and has an incredible story. He was actually born into addiction and has had some struggles within his own family that he shares. Uh, he explains to us his childhood, uh, growing up in Hawaii and eventually moving to Texas through a great organization that he explains to us and gives us more light into. He talks about his personal struggles as well as what he's learned through this program. We get into some of the struggles of COVID um, and what Chris and Kalai are seeing through their network in the rise in anxiety and um, people seeking treatment through you know those who have been reaching out. We also talk a little bit about how we could potentially start to think about tackling the next generation how we mold them, how we think about continuing this conversation and making sure it's top of mind. Uh, we talk about you know, mental awareness and mindfulness and how that will play a key role in how we do move forward. Um, and then we just sum up by sharing um, some back and forth between Kalai and Chris that I think will be really beneficial for everyone. Thank you all again for tuning in every week. Kalai, thank you for being such a wonderful human, for all the work you're doing, and for joining us on Faded. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. Thank you all. Have a great weekend and enjoy this episode. All right. Well, we'll get started. Thank you for everyone tuning in uh, per usual. This week we have um, another exciting special guest through Chris's network, um, Kalai Cordova. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're super pumped to have you. And Chris, as always, welcome back. <laughs> thank you. So glad Kalai's on here right now. Yeah, same. And so as always, I'd love to jump in, um, Kalai, just by getting to know you and a little bit about you. And then obviously we can uh, segue that into how you and Chris know one another and continue this awesome discussion uh, in the world of addiction and recovery. And just, you know, for your knowledge, I'm sure you've been tuning in, but we've got audiences of all shapes, sizes, experiences, um, et cetera, throughout. So we've got eager people. I think uh, we're doing a, a pretty good job of, of trying to just bring a good healthy mix of education, storytelling, and just awareness to this disease. So tell us a little bit about your story. Um, where are you from? How did things get started for you? Loaded question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Here no we way. go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm from Hawaii. So I was born and raised in Hawaii. I was uh, born in Honolulu, but I was raised on Maui in a little town called Lahaina. Yeah, I mean, I was born into this, you could say. My mother struggles with addiction. My father really struggles with addiction. He still struggles today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and basically everybody in my family kind of struggles with this. It started young for me. You know, I, uh, I started when I was in elementary school with drinking beers with my brother, smoking little weed, yep. stuff like that. And then by the time I was 12 years old, the harder things started happening, like crystal meth and cocaine and you know basically anything you put my hands on I did did you um so you mentioned you were you were kind of born into it was was your mother addicted when you were born yes okay and I'm, I was actually born addicted okay my mother wow. was uh 
yeah, she was doing methamphetamines while she was pregnant with me. I was actually born premature. I was lucky to be born at all. She was real bad when she was young. I mean, my mom's a mother of five, right? So I have five brothers and sisters. Wow. And uh, yeah, and I'm kind of the reconciliation baby because mm-hmm. there's like a big gap between me and my older brother, <laughs> like five years difference. So my mom and my dad got back together. We started doing drugs together and then they had me. Is she still around? Is she still um, struggling? Or, or? Yeah, She's doing okay now. I mean, she still drinks and has her struggles with that, but I don't think she's touched anything hard in a while. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, growing up in, in a big family like that and, you know, knowing both your parents struggled. I mean, what, what was your kind of early life like? I know you said you started pretty young, but how was that growing up? So it's, the thing is, is that when you grow up in a situation like that, you don't necessarily think it's odd or abnormal, you know what I mean? Because it's all you really know. You know, I didn't really, until I moved away from that situation, I didn't really see the differences or the unusual around my family life. You know what I mean? I just, I just thought that was the norm, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, I mean, it consisted of violence. It consisted of drug use. It consisted of poverty. It consisted of all these things that at the time I didn't think anything less of it based on the fact that that's all I ever knew. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how poor we really were because everybody in my life was in that same situation. Right. Yeah. It was, it was something that I thought was normal. And the the thing is, is that as I continue to go down this path and things continue to get crazier, you know, like I, uh, when I was around sixth, seventh grade, I joined football. Right. And that kind of distracted me for a bit. I honestly think if it wasn't for football, I would probably have died at a much younger age. You know what I mean? Because that gave me something to look forward to, something to do, something to strive for. Gave me a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. Right. You know, I was a part of a team. And then sooner or later, that purpose, that meaning faded. And like, all of a sudden, the addiction and the team kind of merged into one. Right. You know, and it's, it happens, you know, you find something that's a suitable substitute for a small portion of time. And then that substitute not, starts not becoming enough. When, uh, when for you, did you realize that there was maybe a problem? Uh, probably around 16. Yeah. So from about four years into doing really hard stuff, around 16, things were getting real bad. and I was depressed and I kept doing more and more and more. And, uh, Rewinding a little bit back, when I was around seven, my grandparents, they signed me up for this program called Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Yep. So through that program, I met a couple. They were like mentors to me. They were like the complete opposite of my family. Very structured. They had things, you know, and they took me on a cruise ship, which a kid like me never imagined could happen. And they took me to Disneyland and Mm -hmm. things like that. And they showed me a little glimpse of what life could be like. You know what I mean? It kind of gave me a little idea of what there's another world out there that's not my little bubble. Right. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't think I would be here without Brian, you oh. know, without, without, you know, then they're, the, they're like, they adopted me when I was 16 years old and took me into a house, brought me into a community, which was way different than what I grew up with. I went to this little uh, high school in Texas. It's not little, it's a big high school. But in Texas, called Westlake, going from Lahaina to Westlake in Austin, 
yeah. was a, a culture shock. Culture shock for sure. To say the least. <laughs> you know, I'm going. I, I went to school with people who like walk to school, like ten miles uphill. You know what I mean? Yeah. To go into a place where people are driving Mercedes mm-hmm. and like big Ford F one fifty trucks to school, and that's what that just they just have that. You know, brand new cars. Yeah. And it was, just, it's completely different. Yeah. What was it about them and what they taught you? I mean, they're, they're obviously bringing you into this completely new environment and you're having, you know, the, the cruises and you're doing the fun things, but like, what, can you, can you pinpoint what it was that kind of changed in you through, through them? Was it conversation? Was it just the way they approach things? Kind of tell us more about that. It was time. Hmm. Honestly. It was, they spent time with me and mm. they took time. I mean, they were busy. You know what I mean? They, Brian runs a successful business. Margot helps him with that business. I mean, they, they're busy and they have two kids of their own, you know, that they're trying to raise, but they took time out to sit down with me and talk with me and to guide me. Like they were parenting me, but I wasn't really listening or I heard them, but I didn't listen. Right. Cause I'm stubborn and I got to learn through my own stupid experiences and I have to, you know, <laughs> still are do. Yeah, exactly. I got to do what I got to do <laughs> and then see the consequences of that action. And then, and then I realized that what he had told me years ago was completely right. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to believe it at the time, but when <laughs> faced with a situation, you know, where I tried the opposite of what they told me to do and then, <laughs> you know, realizing that they were right the whole time. I remember just sitting down with them and be like, yeah, you're right. Like five years into it, it was like everything he told me and finding myself saying words that he said to me. And I remember him telling me one time, he said that uh, if I could give you anything in this world, anything at all, it'd be a relationship with God. He's like, I could give you money. I could give you, you know, an education. I could give you all these things, but none of that will really mean much. Unless you have a relationship with God. Because if you have a relationship with God, I know, despite the situations in your life, that you're going to be okay. Despite how much money you have, despite your current life situation is, that that relationship in itself is sufficient enough to guide you and to go put, to push you through whatever hardships should come your way. Right. And you, you didn't necessarily believe that at first when you heard it? <laughs> no. I was like, just give me money, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go down there. Just give me the money. <laughs> I was like 16 years old. I was like, no, just give me money. And what's so amazing to me to, cause I don't really know what the success rate for that type of situation is. And, and for a family to bring you in and try to help you, I just don't really hear about it much or talk about it much. And it's so cool to hear a success story around it. Cause I know that I know your story very well. And and I know that Brian has taken you under his wing and really helped you grow. And he hasn't done it by giving you anything. He's done it by showing you how to be a man and being a mentor to you. And it's pretty amazing to see what two amazing uh, selfless people can do for somebody who had no idea what direction to take in life. And now all of a sudden, what, 11, 12 years later uh, after getting sober, and, and having some guidance from them at the beginning, you're working for a huge tech company. You've, you're extremely successful. You're in a healthy relationship. I mean, it's, it's just so amazing what God or the universe can do when, 
you're placed in a position to, to accept help. And, and so how did your drug career, um, as John says, how did, how did that progress through these years as well? Like when they first took you in and all that, what did that look like? Um, what it looked like was I made a solemn promise not to do it anymore. Like I'm moving to Texas. I'm leaving everything I know in Hawaii and I'm moving there and I don't want to do it. I don't. I promised myself I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a normal high school kid. I may drink a little bit. I may party a little bit, but I'm not going to do what I did before. And that lasted about, I don't know, two days. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Then I met a girl and she had cocaine. Then I had a girlfriend and cocaine. So like that. Two days in. I assume that spiraled into worse things, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because like I played at a really prominent high school where they do really well in football and I did really well. I was very successful at it. I remember there were days where I'm literally plastered drunk, like can't stand, laying in the bathroom of the high school with the drug dealer on the line, having him bring me cocaine or mass or whatever I needed to kind of get myself level enough so I can go to practice. Wow. And did you play high and drunk? All the time. I actually did really well. That's crazy. It's funny because you hear of some people that say, that, that they either didn't do it when they were playing or um, they were able to kind of keep it at bay. But that, that's crazy to think that, that you know, you're actually playing, playing with it in your system. Oh, yeah. I played with it in my system all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I thought I played better. I don't know. I don't think so. But <laughs> I thought I did. Yeah. You know, for sure. I thought it was more aggressive and more, you know, and I didn't feel anything. So I could just throw my body in the mix and everything would be okay. I'm paying for those years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are and and then did it progress, you know, further or did you kind of maintain it, you know, the same level of stuff, you know, throughout that time? And maintained up until the point where I knew with the drug habit I had that I was never going to be able to go and play football at the next level. As soon as football season ended, it was balls to the wall from that point until I went to rehab. Like that that six month period between because like the plan was to like I screwed up I'd gotten in trouble I had all this stuff around drugs and then I was like okay I'll walk onto the team I'll show them what I can do and that'll be fine Mm -hmm. and that never happened yeah what was the moment that came to a head for you where you decided to go to rehab like what was that part of the journey I died it's very difficult to overdose on methamphetamine because your body shuts down, right? So, like, you'll do a bunch, you'll overamp, and you'll shut down. But it came to the point where I overdosed twice. And, mm. you know, you would think that, like, going to the doctor and him telling me what had happened and telling me that if I continue to do it, I'm going to die would stop me. But, no, I was like, well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well die happy. And so I just continued to do more drugs and then went back to the doctor a second time. And he was like, you're going to die. And so I got really high again mm-hmm. and called Brian. And I was like, look, man, I can't do it anymore. Like, I need help. And he came and he sat down with me. I remember I'm in a jack-in-a-box. Sat down with me in this jack-in-a-box. I look like complete ass because I'm like 120 pounds and yeah. like skin and bone. And I'm like 200 pounds now. So eight, take 80 pounds off of me. Yeah. There's like nothing, right? Yeah. So 
he sit, he sits down with me and he gives me a choice. He said, you can go to rehab. You can send, I can send you back to Hawaii. You can die there or I can leave you here and you could die here. Your choice is yours. And I said, let me think about it. And so I left and he lost it. Like he was so mad. Yeah. I left, I went into another booth and I sat there and I was like, came back and I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's go to rehab. And I would like to say that it was the, like I was the, you know, best client at a rehab I've ever seen, but I wasn't, <laughs> I was terrible. I yeah. didn't listen. I thought I knew better. I didn't want to do what they asked me to do. I did mm-hmm. just enough to get by. And I remember they had these outside people come to do H and I's there. And I had listened to a bunch of them and really never Nothing ever caught me, you know. H and I's are when people. Sorry, just to cut you off. H and I's for anyone listening are for people who have gotten sober and worked through the twelve steps. They come back to it's it. H and I means hospitals and institutions. They go back to detox facilities or rehab facilities to speak to the patients right. yeah. and try to spread a word of of hope, a message okay, of hope. Yeah. So. I go there, yeah, I go there, and there's this guy, right? And he's like this big, muscular black guy, and he's he's got glasses on, and he's dressed all nice, right? And the things he said made sense. Like, if you hear about in the book, it talks about this uh, experience Bill has with Ebby, right? And where he's floored because here sat somebody directly in front of him who showed him what could be possible, you know? And that's what that man did for me. He was standing directly in front of me, speaking my language had done what I had done and had been through the things I'd been through and he was better. Something had changed and it wasn't only the words that came out of his mouth. It was the look in his eye. It was the way he carried himself. It was the things that he was doing in his life that attracted me. Yeah. And from that point until now, I've continued to seek that, you know, I've just continued to seek what that man had and just so happened that that man became my halfway house manager. And, uh, Hmm. you know, at at 18 years old, yeah. See, see how God works in your life at 18 years old. I'm in a halfway house with 30 year old men and, (laughs) you know, running and gunning. And the thing is I followed this guy around like a puppy dog and did what he did. You know, I didn't just listen to him. I didn't just listen to his advice. I did what he did. And I've always been told if you want what somebody has, you do what they do. You know, throughout this journey, I've, I've come to meet a lot of men who have been that example for me. You know, Brian was that example, but the hardest thing I had was he had never been through what I had been through, right? So he could never reach me on that level. Everything he said to me was right. Everything he said to me was spot on. But at some point, you need that, that extra layer of being able to relate, that ability to connect. And that's, that's what this program does. It allows you to connect with somebody who has been through the same experiences as you have, has had the same struggles, has had the same pain, and they know how to, you know, get through it. And they know how to strive despite it. Right. And it's, that's so, it's so helpful to hear you say that so simply and cleanly because 
we've talked about that, you know, in pretty much every episode we've talked about is just kind of, you know, the role of family and loved ones, um, which is so hard to understand. Um, and I'm, you know, speaking from experience there is I'm truly a fixer. I've always looked out for Chris and Megan and, you know, the whole family, but because I'm oldest child and I'm just wired that way. And it, it was very hard for me accepting the fact that it wasn't going to be up to me, right? It wasn't going to be anything I'm going to say or do in my normal life that I could normally influence someone on. It was going to come down to Chris experiencing that through somebody that had gone through it. And we've continued to reiterate that. And then, you know, loved ones that are asking us questions quite a bit from this podcast about, you know, what do I do? Like, what's my next move? And in addition to the kind of environment that we've encouraged people to create of non-judgment and love and, you know, understanding the, the most important thing is for us to help them get in touch with somebody that's been through it, that can relate. So I'm, I'm appreciative that you said that because it's, it's really a great summary of what we've been talking about. Yeah. I mean, See, I've been on both sides of the spectrum, right? So, like, uh, yep. my brother's now in recovery. Mm. You know, and he's my older brother. He's five years older than me. I picked and him I up remember- from the airport. That was weird. You did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I was like, you look like Kali. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you see somebody who you love who's struggling, you want to do everything in your power to fix that person, to make their struggle go away. And I remember thinking to myself, if I could take his burden, I would. But I can't. And I remember I called him once a month, like clockwork, just to check on him. I didn't judge him. I didn't scrutinize him. I didn't attack him. I just asked him how he was, how he was doing. And at the end of every conversation, I, I told him that if he ever needed anything, or if he ever needed any help, he could always call me. It took about a year, right? 12 phone calls, once a month, until he finally reached out and said, yeah. I want help. And I bought him a plane ticket. And now what? He'll pick up a year in a couple of months. That's great. Yeah. That's I mean, great. you, you want to help, but sometimes the best thing you can do is love from a distance. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you're there for them. Tell them that you, you know, there's no judgment. There's no hard feelings. You're there. And right. sometimes it's all they need. You can, you can reach out a hand, but you can't make somebody grab it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that about your brother. And what's, uh, what's your relationship like with the rest of your family now? I mean, did you ever go back um, or were you kind of, did you live your life, you know, with, with Brian? Well, I did live my life with Brian, right? It took years. Like it was a, it was like a reconstruction. That little bit of time I spent with Brian, I caused a lot of pain and a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty, you know? in his life. And I've hurt him, his wife, his kids. His wife didn't talk to me for like four years. Like just refused because I had hurt her and I understood that. Yeah. And it all, it took me being consistent and showing up for a long period of time to true for them to truly believe that I had changed because people say they change all the time and then they go back to doing the same thing. You know, they had to see it and they had to see it consistently or else they weren't going to believe it. And what about your other brothers and sisters? It's a little weird now. It's different. It's, uh, so I've kind of taken the role of the person they call when they need help. Like uh, I have another brother who's kind of struggling with alcoholism. And I have another brother who has spits of depression. Um, but I have the opportunity now because I've, I'm clear and I'm, 
I've progressed to a point where I have the ability to help them, where I can, but I only help with ask. I don't, <laughs> for a long time, I tried to give unsolicited advice, and unsolicited advice doesn't always go over very well. But when they ask me, they've given me permission to say what I need to say. It's getting you know, spiritual it's, consent. Exactly. Yeah, they've given me permission to say what I need to say in a loving way, you know, to guide them and help them to go to the direction they need to go on. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the position I'm in now. I've, I have, have been blessed to have the opportunity to help my siblings in many different ways. And it's, and it's crazy to me because I never thought I would be the guy who'd be in this position. Right. You know? Right. So I thought I was the, you know, black sheep of the family, the person who don't be like him. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden they look up to me and they want to emulate what I do. Yeah. I can relate to that with Chris too. I, I, it's funny. I tell people all the time, I'm like, this is my little brother. And, you know, th- I find myself so often thinking, you know, maybe I'll call and ask his opinion, which, which is, is fun. it's just funny in, in being five years older and, um, and kind of going through life. You just, you don't think that, right? But I, I love that. And so I can, I can relate to that as well. And it's been fun well, actually being able to learn from a younger sibling too. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> Well, what's so interesting about it is as soon as you said that, I was like, well, it's God. It's not, it's not me being this great person or, or anything. Yeah. And, and it sounds so cliche or so corny, but all, all I mean by saying that's God is the reason why somebody may look at me now and say, hey, this person may be able to give me some advice that could be useful is not because of who I am as a person, but because of the principles that were shown to me. Mm-hmm. To where, you know, now I know how to see if I'm being selfish or I know how my mind works if I'm being resentful or I have this extra intuition because of meditation or, or whatever. And all of those things are not like they don't put you ahead of somebody or make you more responsible or better than somebody else. It's just kind of like additional tools that really help when you're going through problems and mm-hmm. It's like the book says, you know, we intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. You know, instead of just giving up and throwing our hands up when life gets difficult, we walk through it with dignity and grace. And it's all because of the spiritual tools that have been laid out at our feet time and time again. And that's really all that it is. Yeah. People see power working through me and they want it. That's as plain as I can get it. You know what I mean? It's like when you see somebody who's, doing great and has all these things and you ask them why they can give you a blueprint or they can give you something that will ensure that. Right. And that's what God does for me. Right. He ensures that I'm okay. And it's not about being okay financially. It's not about being okay. You know, physically it's like a, as I work on myself spiritually and the rest of it just comes together. I love that. And it's funny, you know, I, I, I've reflected a lot about this too, because I, you know, my, my life, I haven't been through a disease like you guys have. And I, and I hope I don't have to experience any sort of disease, but the reflection and and kind of the the teachings and the lessons that I'm learning through this disease, I, I say this quite often, but I just feel like it could apply to anybody. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm somebody that probably has some deep-seated depression and anxiety um, that I'm very good at pushing down. But even just the principle of spirituality and focusing time on that and having moments of reflection in the day and some of the tools that come out of the program that you guys have gone through 
most people may not have to ever engage those types of things throughout their life because they don't happen to have a disease. But what I think is fascinating is because you've basically chosen and, and gone through this program, you've received that spirituality, that grace, you know, God entering your life and it's truly changed you. And I think if anybody you know, were to stop and kind of practice similar things, they may find similar outcomes as well, don't you think? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's funny. It's like, a, it's like a secret, but it's not, right? <laughs> right. I find that the more that I do for other people, not for myself, the more time that I spend for other people, the more actions I take to help other people. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything grand. It could be something, it could be as small as opening the door yeah. or helping somebody lift something or just putting yourself in a position just to utterly be helpful without yeah. gain. All of a sudden, everything else in your life seems to work itself out. It's really simple if you think about it. I mean, it's just a matter of, of focusing on it. And that's what I think our lives are so crazy. And, and I think, you know, that that's, I'm just, I find the entire thing fascinating. And that's why I continue to want to learn as much as I can about it, because I just, I think, you know, what you guys have to your point, we're, we're seeing power through you and happening through you. And I just think it's, it's really exciting to be around and it, and it actually brings, you know, peace to me to even have these conversations. It's, it's influential. I mean, it's really, really cool stuff. Everybody has their struggles. You know, and the thing is, is that you can either, you know, feel sorry about your struggle and woe is me and the world is hard, or you could use that as an experience to help somebody else who's going through the same struggle as you. Absolutely. And we've all got to, you know, the, especially now, I mean, listening and, and being open to listening to people's stories is, is the way to start doing that too. And I, and a, a, a big reason Chris and I decided to start down this path was just, you know, learning my own learnings, but also just our discussions were helpful. And we kept saying, why aren't we recording this? Right. And, and just their life conversations at the end of the day, you know, and it's just so important. I completely agree. So what is your life like today? <laughs> my life today, uh, I sponsor quite a few men. I, uh, try to do as much as I can in that aspect. I have my girlfriend that I love and that I've been with for a year now. Uh, awesome. She has a nine-year-old, so I, <laughs> my time is spent a lot of times, especially during these times, you know, hanging out with her. I work, you know, and, but the thing is, is, like, I don't know, there's a lot of people who say you must do what you love, and I, you know, that's great, but I never found that. See, like, I had one drive, right, one thing mm -hmm. that I wanted that kept pushing me and pushing me. That's why I went to college. Is why I graduated from college. Is why I got the job that I had is because I wanted a family. Everybody else saw themselves being a doctor, a lawyer. I just wanted to be a father. And I didn't care what I did. And I still don't. To me, that's what brings me joy. That's what brings me satisfaction. That's what brings me happiness, is being a part of a family, being a part of people who love me. I love that. I love the goal that you have, right? It's, it's not about being monetarily wealthy person. It's about, you know, finding, finding you know, the love of family and the, the simplicity and, and gratitude of that. You know, I always thought that, you know, you could seek wealth, right? You could seek wealth all day, try to make as much money as you can, or you could seek significance. You can have both, right? But if you seek wealth without seeking some sort of significance in your life, you'll find yourself falling short of what you really want, you know? But if you seek significance, then all of a sudden you, you can still attain wealth, 
but your life is more whole. Yeah. Money means nothing if you don't have purpose or significance to go along with it. I mean, I've been just as happy making $17,000 a year working on South Padre Island as I was making, you know, six figures for a tech company. I, I was actually more, I was happier when I was working, making less. And it was just because I was focusing more on the spiritual aspect of my life and I was more whole internally, which means externally I was just as whole regardless of what, what was in my bank account. And that's what, that's also a, a gift that I believe we receive when getting sober and going through the work is the gift of being whole, no matter what happens externally and being okay, no matter what happens externally. And yeah. I don't really think you can give a, a better gift than, than that. Yeah, it's easy to say you have faith and things are great. But the true example of having faith is when everything's falling apart around you. The job's gone, the girl's gone, everything's gone. But deep inside, you know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. How do we bring this message to you know the next generation, right? How do we do it differently so that it's not so much of a stigma, collide with a wonderful nine-year-old around you and, and your hope for you know family and Chris, hopefully for family for you in the future and for me. And what what do you think we can do? Like, do you think that there's a way to change you know education in schools or just the way that we kind of approach this as we move forward? I know that's a kind of off-the-cuff question, but I've just been thinking about it a lot. Wanted to get your take, either of you, on this. I mean, I find that honesty is the best policy. You know, it's like, uh, I'm not going to lie to them and not share and not tell them the experience I had because I'm afraid they're going to follow my path. Or, well, you know what I mean? They use my bad examples in my past to give themselves justification to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with them. And this is what I did. This is what happened. And this is the struggles that I incurred. And this, I had to do X, Y, and Z to get out of that. I can share with them that my relationship with God is what has tethered me and is what has brought me to this place where I can now be the man that I am today. And I mean, that's a, you could try to reach the masses, but sometimes the masses don't listen. But if you change one individual's mind and they change another and they change another and this pay it forward aspect starts coming into play, then you, then you can change, then you can make big changes, mm -hmm. you know? That's right. I, I think what I look forward to most in being, uh, if, if I have the ability to be a father and a parent, mm -hmm. what I look forward to most is being able to have conversations with my son or daughter or kids that help them find where they're being selfish in moments without mm -hmm. saying you're selfish, mm -hmm. but being able to point out how to work through problems by looking inward and by taking responsibility and accountability, not by saying like, look what you've done and look at the problems <laughs> you've caused, but saying like, Hey, where was your mind at when this happened? Yeah. And really dig deep into how their mind works and give them the tools to be able to work through situations based on the tools that I've been given and help them understand and know themselves better than anyone else around them. Yeah. Because I feel like if you know yourself and you know how your own mind works, then you're never going to be a follower and you're never going to follow somebody else's path. You're going to follow your own path because you know yourself. It's easier said than done. And some people listening may be like, oh, you're not a father. You would have no idea. But I really do think that the best thing that we could do for our kids is, is help them understand who they are and 
how to work through situations with principles that, that are selfless. And, you know, I feel like if, if everybody teaches their kids or teaches one another how to be more selfless, Mm. Um, that's how the world starts to shift into a more peaceful place and, and people have more self-awareness and they're less concerned about what they can do for themselves and they're more concerned about what they can do for the world, you know? And once again, easier said than done, but I, I don't really think it's that far, far-fetched to, to be able to accomplish that. The best example is you, you know, it's like, uh, I was always told as a kid, do as I say and not as I do. And that never really works. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Do as I say, not as I do. That's that's not that's not happening. Hmm. But you know, if you can be somebody that they aspire to be like, and walk a path that they inspire, you know, inspire to walk, you can lead them through attraction because they're attracted to the life that you lead. Uh, so yeah. so totally agree. And I, I, it's interesting to think of it as you know just creating a stronger awareness of, of the next generation of who they are. I like that you said that, Chris. And, and Kali, I completely agree with you. Like, it's not about trying to get to everyone at once. I don't think that's ever going to work. But I agree that, like, maybe trying to spend more time on the self-awareness side, the mental side, and, and using the tools that, that you guys have gained from this, it, that could apply to any type of person or thing somebody's going to go through, um, not just addiction and, and, and not just alcoholism. Um, just you're right. Getting, getting more in tune to who you are as a person will then set you up hopefully to be able to handle whatever comes your way. And I, and that's, I think what's quite a bit is missing of that right, right now. And so ha- that's, it's an interesting concept that it's not necessarily about just bringing addiction awareness, right. To schools or something. It's more about, how are we going to raise people moving forward to know themselves better? And that's where, that's where it goes back to in one of the episodes we talked about how they did the whole just say no campaign. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the issue that we face is that addiction is always going to be there no right. matter what addiction and alcoholism is always going to be there. And I can't choose whether my kid is an addict or an alcoholic. And no. I, I may run into a situation where I find that both my kids are alcoholics or one of my kids is an addict or, you know, whatever. And the only thing that I can provide to them is the truth about myself, just like Kali said, and an open door policy to where if they ever find their, themselves in a position to where they're struggling, they know they can come talk to me based off the experience that I've shared with them. And I think that the only way that I'm going to help them avoid potentially running into that dilemma of being an addict or alcoholic is by teaching them how to approach life in a selfless way, because that's the solution to alcoholism and drug addiction in the first place is mm-hmm. how, how can we shape our minds and our, and our souls to be as selfless as possible. And the root of our problems it, we've talked about on, on some of the episodes is selfishness and self-centeredness. So it's almost mm-hmm. like taking kind of a backwards approach to the addiction deal and if we can teach our kids or our people to be selfless maybe just maybe they won't turn out to be an addict or alcoholic and I know some people may disagree with that but it's it's been my experience so far I agree I mean I mean I agree with that to an extent yeah if you disagree please based upon the physiology of it right based on the, the physical aspect 
you can teach them a spiritual aspect, which will give them a head start as far as being able to cope with certain situations and being able to understand a spiritual solution to problems that could occur in their lives. But you can't really fight the allergy. Mm-hmm. No. Once that occurs within an individual, there's no, there's no combating that unless removing, you know, and if, and if they get, and they, if it just so happens, they get hooked on something, you can't defeat that unless you allow them to remove that so that the spiritual action can take place. Right. It's like you either have the allergy or you don't have the allergy. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't remove the allergy from somebody. It's not possible. But it's an interesting thought that you could at least introduce some sort of knowledge of how to channel things the right way for if that does come up and so that there's a bit more awareness of what that is, you know, if it were to happen, maybe, you know, maybe it could just help to, for individuals to identify, you know, hey, maybe this kind of sounds like what we were talking about, you know? You know, Uh, the crazy thing, how we're talking about how a normie or a person who's does, you know, not afflicted with the disease of addiction and alcoholism, how they can benefit from the principles. This was like one of the biggest arguments I've had with my girlfriend was she wanted me to do a fifth step on her. And I refused because I didn't want to be that person to her. A fifth step is writing a resentment inventory and then reading it to somebody yeah. for everyone. Right. Listening. And then having that person give feedback about their resentments, their fears, their sexual conduct. And so she wanted me to do that. She's like, you have the tools to help me. I want to see what this does. And I was like, I'm happy to, you know, have somebody come and listen to it for you, but I'm not going to be that person. I mean, there's an intimate trust there, which is great. But at the same time, it requires the person who's listening to be blunt and to the point. Yeah. And to not care about the other person's feelings, which I could never do Yeah, to her. Very interesting. Jackie's, Jackie's walked through a resentment inventory before with, with Matt and myself in our, our parents' house. It was just the three of us, and we walked through a resentment inventory with her on the spot, and she was like, it's amazing how uncomfortable everyone gets during that because the whole goal of – maybe we could do a whole episode on it, but the whole goal of a, a fourth and fifth step is – to figure out what you're, who you're resentful at or what you're resentful at, see how it affects you and why you're resentful. And then the whole purpose of going through it is to completely crush your ego and figure out where that whole resentment stems from your own mind and what your mind does. And it's very, very uncomfortable because when yeah. people get resentful, they don't want to sit there and look at what is my part in this whole thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, they don't want to look at their own mistakes. They don't want to see that, you know, that they had something to do with it. Yeah. I don't like doing inventory, but it's necessary. Yeah. It is. And Jackie, you, I remember you, you had a couple of moments where you looked at me and you were like, I do not like this. And then <laughs> it's kind of funny how, you know, moments later you start to walk through it and the ego starts to kind of get crushed a little bit and there's immediate freedom that occurs. And I remember you going, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. uh, it's such a healing process that is is just it's just amazing how it works. It really yeah. is. 
And that was, you know, you, you teaching us about the 12 steps and kind of helping us through what, what you go through. And I, you know, for me, that was a piece of the puzzle that I went through and I, I can understand how powerful it is. And even my example, and, you know, Kalai, you mentioned this, it doesn't have to be anything crazy in, in what you're resentful for, but it, even just going through that very brief exercise, I was, I was thinking, yeah, I could see that this is, you know, especially if you're reflecting on this in a way that, that you guys did, you know, I, I think when it comes to your alcoholism addiction, like I, I could see how it would be extremely powerful, vulnerable, anything that you want to say that it is, because I compared it to, you know, what I was using as my example in the moment was absolutely real, but it was definitely much more minor than, um, than what you guys have been through. And I just, yeah. And I can also see that, you know, you not wanting to do that for your girlfriend. I could see that because it's, it is really personal and, and it's, there's a lot to it. <laughs> it's heavy, you know, so I could completely understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, if you're doing the backyard, right. And there's some stones in there, right. You want to get the stones that you can pull up, Yeah. but you don't want to have to dig deep and try to pull up a giant boulder and rip out the whole yard just to get this one boulder out. You know, I want, I don't have to know everything and I don't want to. Right. You know, there are, there are things that she can keep buried and I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't have to know all the deep inner workings of her. I, I, it's not necessary to me. Now, will it change the way I feel? No, but it may change the way she thinks I view her mm. and I would never want that. So pivoting just a little bit for you guys, I mean, during, just more curious uh, than anything, during this kind of pause or slowdown, I guess, of the world for um, this COVID pandemic, um, are you guys noticing like in, in the, in this world of recovery, like are people struggling more? Is it the same? Just from your experience and perspective, I mean, it seems like we hear a, a few more stories just because of the anxiety and, you know, some of the financial hits on people, but any, any kind of notice that you guys see in your world? The lack of human inter interaction is difficult for people who are new. You know, I've had a three, actually three people that were before all this, that I was, you know, actively taking through the steps and they was their first time through and they've all relapsed. And I wouldn't say they relapsed due to COVID, they relapsed due to they're, they weren't able to fully do what was asked, but circumstances made it more difficult to do those things due to the situation we're in now. I've noticed the same thing. I have also noticed that there's been a few, there's been an upswing or uptick in people asking for help, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if it's because things got too stressful and they finally reached a point where they were like, I can't do it anymore, but... Mm -hmm. I've had a, a couple people reach out in the past two weeks that have been asking for help. And, and um, it was partially because they've had more time to sit to themselves and not, didn't have as many distractions. So mm -hmm. rehab centers are getting more people. And it's, I mean, partially due to the fact that people are struggling and having to go seek help. Another part due to the fact that due to all the furloughs, yeah. people's insurances are going to run out. Yep. So they could use it now or they won't be able to use it later. So people are using it now. Yeah. And, the, and people losing, yeah, furloughs, losing their jobs. Um, yeah. Really interesting. So they're going to go to rehab. Yeah. yeah. Make right. sense. 
Really interesting. Yeah. That was just something top of mind for me um, the other day that I was thinking about too, is, is just, you know, you know, dealing with just general anxiety and the, the kind of weight that's coming on, you know, in general, I, I, I can't imagine kind of going through something that is a bit more deep and, and having to deal with that. So I, I'm, thanks for sharing that. And Kalai, I mean, I think what else, what else about your story or what else about what you've gone through? Would you, would you love for people listening to, to know, I mean, any advice or any final thoughts for those that are tuning in? Final thoughts, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> my experience it's it doesn't matter how bad you think you did no matter what you've done it doesn't no matter how bad no matter how bad you think other people may think the actions that you've taken are the reason i've been able to be successful to the point that i am now wasn't because i just didn't do bad things i've done plenty of wrong i've done, i've made plenty of mistakes Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, I've never, I've never done this program perfectly. I don't think it's possible. But what I have been able to do is recognize the mistakes that I've made, get honest about the mistakes that I've made, and be able to do the work around the things that I've done. Yeah. And that, and that, that has saved me more times than I can count. You know, because mistakes are going to be made. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to do things that aren't always right. Right. You know, I've done plenty of things that are wrong. I've probably done everything wrong you can think of that they say not to do in this program. Hmm. And the Kawhi and I are to- perfect <laughs> examples of doing everything you could possibly imagine that you're not supposed to do in recovery and getting, getting honest about it and right around it and being honest and open enough to grow from it because a lot of people will make mistakes, but they'll keep it buried down deep and, and not admit it. Yeah. And, you know, those are the ones that find that they struggle. And I think honesty is one of the biggest things of staying, staying well in this whole deal. And once we start burying secrets and not, not being transparent about them is when it can make us feel a little funky inside and kind of turn towards what, what makes us feel better. I just, yeah, I mean, I've been honest to a fault about mm-hmm everything in my life to a group of people that I consider, you know, trustworthy that I've given spiritual consent to, Yeah, you know, and I don't just have one. I mean, yes, you should have, I mean, yes, it's recommended to get a sponsor, but get more than one person, get more than one person that you can trust to confide in, that you can talk to, that you can express yourself with, that you can be truly and un, you know, apologetically honest with. And then, you know, yeah, I have like I, five or six. Wow, that's great. And do you have um, similar? Chris has told us before about nightly inventory and oh yeah, some of those. I mean, it's that that also fascinates me and and makes me smile. Just the you know knowing that there are other people on the other end of the you know whether it's text or or you know phone calls or whatever. I just think I, I also find that to be just wonderful. Oh, my nightly inventories have been consistent and then the thing is is it's crazy because like i've been consistent for years and then there'll be a month where i'm not consistent and to see the difference in my life yeah during that month is is night and day yeah chris has said the same thing it's funny i i you know as we've continued to record these podcasts it's been really cool because the same messages come across and and that makes sense because you guys are learning the same way and, and have found success and recovery and 
this, this spirituality in the same way. And so I just, it's, it's great to hear it reiterated for people listening from different people. And, and I'm just so glad for both of you guys. And I really appreciate, you know, the time to share your story and for, you know, all the, all the work you're doing, you know, as well for others, we, what I can give is, is the time to try and continue to spread this message for you guys and for those out there. And, um, I just really appreciate, you know, you coming on and, and, and being part of this. It's, it's hopefully going to continue. And, um, we just, we appreciate you a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, thank you for this opportunity and, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing and happy to do that. The time that you spent doing this is beneficial because the time, time is the number one asset you have because it's the only thing you can't get back. I appreciate that a lot. And we're having a lot of fun with it and we would love to have you on again, just yeah. as we continue forward. I'm sure there's, there's so many more topics to cover and more discussion to have. And God. let me know when you have something controversial, Chris. I would love to talk about controversial. Ooh, let's do okay. That's, that's, that sounds, that sounds amazing because I'm sure people listening may have things that they may disagree with that we say and, yep. and may get frustrated when they listen or anything because we've been pretty vocal about the correct way to do things and, and, and maybe the, the incorrect way to do things. And, you know, that kind of ruffles some, some feathers. And I don't think that it's in an egotistical manner. And I think it's really important for people to have their own opinions and anybody that may be listening, if, if they disagree, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to right. tell us about what, what their experience is. And we just, we know that we've tried it many different ways. And in my experience and, and many others who have ha hopped on this, this podcast, there's been one way that's actually worked. Right. I think that this is all really amazing stuff. And, you know, Kali is a perfect example of you don't have to come from money or a super organized uh, grounded family and, and you can get better regardless of your external circumstances. It all has to do with, you know, internally, where are you at and, and what can we do to fix that? So. Kalai, listen, thanks again. Excited to officially welcome you to the faded family. And, and definitely. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to have met you. Finally, I've heard such great things and, um, and yeah, until next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Amazing. you guys for having me. Kalai, you're the man. I love you, brother. I love you, Jackie. And uh, until the next episode.